Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So good to be with you all here this morning. And for those of you who were here last week, who was here last week? All right. Okay. Thanks for coming back. Because if you were here last week, you know that a prophetic prediction was made over who would win the Super Bowl. It was the battle between the ram and the goat. There we go. All right. Now, I know that some of you are thinking that I'm a false prophet. But I want you to know that I actually got those scriptures from a megachurch pastor here in Orange County who shall remain nameless because who am I to judge? But maybe he's the false prophet, all right? I want you to know that I was given a different scripture right after the service, and I just didn't have time to call all of you on the phone. And unfortunately for all of us Ram fans, here's what it said, Daniel chapter 8, verse 5. Suddenly a goat came toward the two-horned ram charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram. The goat knocked it to the ground, and none could rescue the ram. Sorry, my friends, all you Patriot fans, the word of the Lord for the day. <laughs> but uh, please let the trustees and the elders know that I am not a false prophet, okay? <clears throat> all joking aside, all of that stuff, it doesn't really matter, right? Football is a game. And, uh, well, that Super Bowl, it wasn't really even that good of a game, right? It was kind of very underwhelming. I'm not going to get into a whole critique of the NFL and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, as Christians, we realize that life is so much bigger than games. Life is bigger than a ball made of pig skin. And it doesn't care, compare, as we talked about last week, compared to the skin of humanity and our war that we are waging. Not a game, but a war that we are waging against sin, against brokenness, against death, against evil. We talked about that last week, that it's a war. We talked about the real prophecy points us beyond the rams and beyond the goat. And beyond games, and points us to the Lamb, right? St. John said in John chapter 1, verse 29, said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? Jews and Gentiles, insider and outsider alike, all of humanity, all of creation, the entire cosmos, the world. And we looked at that prophecy from John, or from John in Revelation chapter 17 that says that they will wage war against the Lamb. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be, with him will be his called, his chosen, and his faithful followers. Called, chosen, and faithful followers. That's what we're going to be focusing on today, this morning. And the image that we closed with last week was this. We focused on the lamb, right? Our lamb has conquered. And we talked about our lamb conquered not by the power of might, but by the power of sacrifice and of love. When he died on the cross for all of creation, he rose victorious on the third day. He ascended to the Father, and he has promised to come again, just like we've sung all morning long. It's our creed. It's what we believe. Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about following Jesus. But the question comes to us, what does that look like? What does it actually mean to follow Jesus? How do we follow him? What do our lives look like if we choose to follow Jesus? And followers of Jesus, you've heard it said before that they are called disciples, right? And a disciple, it literally means that they are a learner or a student, but it's more in the sense of being an apprentice, right? Not a student sitting in a classroom, but an apprentice who lives with the master who shadows what the master does, who learns on the job training and becomes something new because of this life they are experiencing. With Jesus, it's about that. It's about life transformation. 
It's about living a, land, a transformed life because of Jesus and living a transformed life to transform others for Jesus. That's discipleship. And so this morning, we're actually going to go to the doctor. We're going to have a little bit of a checkup. And at St. John's, we talk about our discipleship pathway. You've seen this before up on the screen here. Connect to God, grow together, share Christ. Have you seen that before? Yeah, it's our discipleship pathway. You know what? Let's just say it out loud together. Can we do that? Connect to God, grow together, share Christ. All right, it's nothing new in terms of Christianity, but it is kind of a helpful lens. It's a helpful group of words that help us focus on our walk with God, our walk with each other, and God's purposes for our lives. And so we're actually going to do a checkup this morning. You can start looking at it. It's the little sheet that you have. There's a QR code up there. So get your iPhone ready or your if you Android people, you got to have a special QR code reader, right? But the iPhoneers, you can just use your camera, all right? We're going to get to it later, but you can already start looking at it during the sermon, especially if it gets boring. And uh, you can kind of look at your life a little bit. We're actually going to go through it together. But before we jump into that, we're going to let Luke, who is actually a doctor, a physician, the Gospel of Luke was written by a doctor, and we're going to let him give us a little bit of a checkup. And we're going to look at what he says about following Jesus, about discipleship, because we've been traveling together through the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at the life of Jesus. And we're coming to Luke chapter 5 today. And if we look close enough into our text, we're going to see this discipleship pathway of connect to God and grow together and share Christ written all over it, okay? Uh, Luke chapter 5 verse 1 says this. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and they were listening to the word of God. So right away in our first verse, we see this connection to God. We see a crowd gathering around him to receive God's word from God himself, right? That's what we do when we come to church together. That's what we're doing right now. We're connecting to God and to each other in worship. We're gathering around his word. We're receiving his grace and his mercy. God is speaking to us. Then in verse 2, it says, he saw at the water's edge. I love that. A friend of mine's church is called Water's Edge. It's pretty cool. But he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into, that's Jesus, got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked them to put out a little bit from the shore. Then he sat down, as rabbis do, and he taught the people from the boat. And so basically, it was just this huge, awesome outdoor worship service on the lake. And people are connecting to God. They're connecting to each other in worship. And then verse 4, it says, when he had finished speaking, when Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, he said, put out into deep water. And let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, uh, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. I love this line right here. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And in that moment, we kind of see Peter connecting to God, right? We talk about connecting to God, but we see him connecting to God on a personal level, not a communal worship level, but on a personal level. He is spending time with Jesus. That's what we do during our daily lives when we read his word and when we pray to him. He speaks to us in his word because that's what words are, right? They're communication. God speaks to us in his word and we speak back to him in prayer. That's what's going on with Peter right now. And I love what Peter does, what he says, and he listens to Jesus, right? Jesus, who is a carpenter, right? Peter's the fisherman. 
And he had just been fishing all night long. They didn't catch anything. He's probably tired. He wants to go home. Deep down inside, he's thinking, Jesus, I love you. I respect you. In fact, you healed my mother-in-law. And that's cool. My wife loves it. But you're not a fisherman. You're a carpenter. You're a seminary professor. You're a rabbi. You don't know about fishing, right? But he says, instead of that, I will listen to you. I'll do it. I'll go out. I'd rather be sleeping. But here we go, Jesus. In verse 6, when they had done so, they went out and they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter realized that he was in the presence of divinity, that Jesus is divine. And that he, Peter, was not worthy, that he, Peter, was a broken sinner before the presence of God. He realized that he demonstrates an attitude that we could replicate. He demonstrates an attitude of humility before God. And I'm telling you, when it comes to that connect to God part of our discipleship pathway, it starts with humility, right? That's what we do when we come to church. That's why we're here on every Sunday. We come together in, in humility before God, and we say, God, we, together, we need you. We need to connect with you. And when we read his word and when we pray each week, every day of our lives, we come before God in humility and say, God, I need you in my life. I need you to speak to me through your word. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Peter gives us a picture and an image that we can replicate, an attitude of humility before God. In verse 9, he has this humility, it says, because he and all his companions were astonished. They were in awe. They were shocked at the catch of fish they had taken. In verse 10, it says, so were James and so were John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, his business partners, right? And if you keep on reading, you know that they weren't just business partners. They become family. They become partners in ministry. They become disciples. And in that moment, we see this move from connect to God to grow together. You see this picture of Simon, Peter, and James, and John together, humbled and in awe before Jesus, gathered together as friends around Jesus. That's, that's what grow together is at St. John's. It's friendships that are centered with Jesus. There are friendships with Jesus Christ at the center with him leading. Now, my life group met this past Wednesday. And to be honest with you, I didn't have the best of Tuesdays this past week. You can ask my wife, okay? It was just, it was a bad day for me. Bad Tuesday. And uh, went home. I went to bed. Woke up on Wednesday morning, a new morning. And it started out the right way. I got to church here. I went to chapel, right, connecting to God. Pastor Nathan had a great message. The middle school praise band was leading worship in their awesome and beautiful way. We had the uh, elementary kids playing on the chimes. It was just a great day, a great start to the day to connect to God to and his people in worship. Then in, in the evening, my wife and I, we gathered with our life group. And we just had such a good time together. It was awesome. It was one of those times you just reminded how important it is for us to grow together. 
We, we sat around and we, we talked and we wrestled with God's word and God spoke to us through his word and we had great conversation. I was just reminded again how important it is when God's people gather together in humility around his word, around Jesus, and when we talk and when we listen and when we struggle and when we pray with the word of God, great things happen. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God shows up. I was so reminded that my, my Wednesday was turning out to be great. It was great because I was walking the discipleship pathway, right? Connecting to God in worship, growing together with my life group. But then my wife and I, we went, we went back home. And that's where it really paid off. We shared Christ with our children. And we led them to Jesus in nightly devotion. We led them in prayer. And I'm telling you, it's that step from connect to God to grow together, that step to share Christ, that part of our discipleship pathway, that's when we really start to take it up into a next level. Because you see, after Peter, James, and John, after they're sitting there in awe in the boat, after they are astonished in the abundance of fish and the fact that Jesus actually controls all of creation, in the midst of that, in verse 10, it says, Jesus said to Simon, he said, don't be afraid. Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Don't be afraid. Jesus speaks a word of comfort, a word of absolution, a word of forgiveness, a word of encouragement to Peter. But he just didn't leave it there, right? He just didn't stick with the connect to God and the grow together part. He just didn't say, don't be afraid. He doesn't stop at comfort and encouragement. But he moves on to give Peter something to do, something to be. Something bigger and larger than anything that Peter had ever imagined. Luke chapter 5 verse 10 continues on. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. He said, from now on, you will fish for people. I mean, that's, that's the share Christ of our discipleship pathway. Peter was being commissioned to catch people up into the unimaginable and life-changing grace of God. Peter had no reason to expect this call upon his life, and he had many reasons to doubt this call upon his life. He was a fisherman, right? He wasn't a, a student. He wasn't enrolled in seminary. He wasn't a teacher. He wasn't going after rabbis. He wasn't of that pedigree. He was a common worker. He was out there bringing in a living for the family. He had his business partners. They were fishermen. Yet Jesus calls him anyway. And that's one of the greatest things I love about how God works. He's always choosing the most unlikeliest of characters through whom to work. And he puts aside their doubts. He puts aside their fears. He puts aside their excuses. They, he puts aside their professed shortcomings. And God does powerful things through them. And so what happened? What did Peter and James and John do? Verse 11 said they pulled their boats up on the shore. Their boats, their everything, their livelihood, their identity in many ways. They left everything and they followed Jesus. Uh, those words, my friends, the more you look at them, they are powerful. Peter left everything he knew as a vocation to follow Jesus. So did James, so did John. And when we look at that picture... There's something awfully sort of freeing in that picture on the one hand, yet on the other hand, at the same time, it is completely terrifying, right? 
It's the cost of discipleship. It's the cost of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus, on the one hand, it is absolutely, completely free. His words of comfort, his words of encouragement, his words of peace, his words of identity given to us in baptism, his Holy Spirit that is placed upon us and lives within us. And when we receive in the Lord's Supper, his body and blood poured out for us for forgiveness of sins, the body of Christ that he gives us, a family, an identity, relationships. It's all that connected God stuff and it's all that grow together stuff. It's awesome and it's freeing and it costs us absolutely nothing. Free. It costs Jesus everything on the cross, but it costs us nothing. Connect to God, grow together, share Christ. We start moving into that share Christ part. That's when we get into the boat, the boat of the church. We get into that boat with Jesus, and we start rowing out into the deep water of the world where the waves can be fierce and terrifying and it feels like we are going to drown. Yet anyway, we cast the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we bring in all sorts of people, the kingdom. And that work, that work of fishing after people, it is hard work, but it is the most rewarding and most glorious work of all. But the thing about it is we might have to leave some things behind to do it. And I hope that's a question that you will take this morning. You're not going to be able to answer it in the next five minutes. But I hope that you'll wrestle with that question today and this week. And really we wrestle with it all of our lives. What do I need to leave behind to follow Jesus? Because every one of us in the room, we have something we need to leave behind to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's a big deal. Sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes it's even a small little tiny thing. I mean, speaking of football, I had a friend of mine who he left football behind because it was actually ruining his life. He was watching football so much that it was actually taking away from his, his, his calling, his calling as a husband, his calling as a father. I mean, that's just one little small example, but we all have something in our lives that we could leave behind to follow Jesus. And I know that everyone, everyone that I know that leaves something behind to follow Jesus says it was always worth it. It was always, the, the price I paid was nothing compared to what I received. And the words that Jesus said to Simon Peter, those words are for you and they are for me. They are for us even as we follow. They are for us even as we leave things behind and we might be a little bit afraid Luke chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, he said, don't be afraid. That image we looked at, our lamb has overcome. Let's follow 